This is In Conversation from Apple News Today. I'm Shamita Basu. Every weekend, we talk with the journalists behind the best stories on Apple News+. Plus. Advancements in science and medicine are allowing humans to live longer than ever. Some illnesses that once carried a terminal diagnosis are now treatable or even curable. For all of our progress, though, the human condition still has an expiration date. Death is inevitable. But there are some people who are trying to challenge that idea. It really depends on who you talk to. Some people are really convinced that they're going to live forever. I mean, this is like immortality. That's Jacqueline Detweiler-George. She's been reporting on the researchers and scientists who don't see death as an inevitability, but as a problem to be sidestepped and eventually totally overcome. I think the thing right now is that we're targeting very specific diseases and very specific things. So, you know, we're trying to cure cancer specifically, or we're trying to cure heart disease, but we're not addressing this overall unraveling of the body as you get older that that breaking down yeah yeah i mean it's aging is the strongest risk factor for death from all age-related diseases right so if you target aging by itself and you figure out what that is like what that underlying process is that makes people vulnerable to these other diseases then presumably you can make larger strides that advance human lifespan at least more broadly Detweiler George's article in Popular Mechanics is called Can Science Cure Death? You can read and listen to it on Apple News with an Apple News Plus subscription. When I spoke with her, I asked where the science is right now and just how seriously we should consider death a curable condition. There seem to be sort of two camps that you're reporting on. Can you talk about what they're trying to accomplish? As with any science that's in its infancy, right, you have these really powerful early theories and basic research that's going on into how cells work and health span or increasing the amount of livable, happy, healthy life that you get before mm. you die, mm-hmm. or even just increasing lifespan by 20 years or 30 years, something that we haven't really seen yet. And that's really promising. And there are a lot of theories about what causes aging. And then on the other side, what you have are people who are jumping in, and some of them call themselves immortalists or anti-deathists, and kind of building on the excitement and trying to either make money, or it could just be that they're personally optimistic about some you know thing that they built or that they want to work, and they're trying to sell it to people. It can be very hard for people who aren't versed in this stuff to figure out which is which. But that's part of what we did the article for. <laughs> you describe this conference that happens annually <laughs> called RadFest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it stands for Revolution Against Aging and Death. Uh, can you just, can you paint the picture? Take us there. What's this conference like? The guy who runs the Coalition for Radical Life Extension, which runs RadFest, um, his name's James Stroll. His real idea is that we need to reconsider how we think about death, right? We need to have like a humanitarian revolution against this deathist paradigm. We need to change movies. We need to change the way we think about it. And so Radfest is a manifestation of that. He calls it Woodstock for anti-aging, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's music, there's dance, there are 
people in conference wear doing exercises in the audience. There are panels. You know, there's like a show floor where you can try out some of these different treatments, some of which are kind of invasive, it seems to me, for a conference floor. Like what? Um, I, I saw somebody getting like an IV, basically, which I was like, I don't think I would get an IV from a booth at a Las Vegas conference. I don't know. Maybe some people would. Yeah, <laughs> Clearly sure. some people would. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So things like that and vendors and and a lot of a lot of vendors that I think if you have any science background, you would look at with some skepticism, you know, ma- magnet mats and, you know, pendants and oils and things like that. So there's definitely a lot of hope there. And there is a lot of a lot of talk of science that is in in its infancy, but is exciting, but it's kind of interspersed with this wild hippie music festival is the vibe yeah. that I get from it. Yeah. Yeah. It gave off some really festival-y kind of uh, atmosphere. Yeah. And, but to your point, it also did sound like there were some seemingly bad actors there to sort of prey on people who are searching for longevity, right? Right. I mean, that's the thing is there are lots of different reasons that you get into this, you know, and for some people, it's really a serious fear of death or they, you know, they have some disease or there's some reason that they feel an urgency about it. And those people can be preyed upon because, you know, the science is in its infancy. There aren't, aren't a lot of concrete recommendations you can give. So if somebody goes to an event like that and there is all this hard science talk that is really inspiring, and then they go on the show floor and someone's like, you know what you need is this, you know, these copper socks or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, some of these things are very expensive. Um, in the article, I talked about a $8,500 air filtration system. Ooh. I mean, you don't need that, <laughs> you know, and somebody's going to spend $8,500 on that. And it's probably not going to make them live longer. Right. And, you know, that's a pretty sad and scary situation that that is going on. Yeah, but it's not all bad actors out there. You do introduce us to some people who have been studying this, who are established names in this. You introduce us to um, Dr. David Sinclair. You call him the guy in longevity (laughs) research. So tell us about him and his research. Yeah, I'm sure there's other people in longevity research who are like, what? Um, but, <laughs> He's one of the but guys. Let's not play is, No, but, but he he is. He really is. Um, he has been in just really so many incredible publications. His research is very compelling. So I think what's interesting about what David Sinclair is doing is he his lab has focused on one particular process that he thinks underlies a lot of how our bodies break down as we age and that he thinks can explain a lot of the things that happen to us. And the way he has done that, he's actually doing experiments on mice where he has reversed this process to some degree. I think we should all be excited about what's possible. Clearly, it is possible to some degree. I like how you described Sinclair as having the same sort of mad optimism that (sighs) seems to strike everyone who works in longevity research. Why, Why do you describe it that way? If this is something you do, no matter how logical and scientific you are about it, you're going to want to use it on yourself, right? Like death is the great equalizer. We all don't really want to die or at the very least don't want to get diseases of aging before we die. So in in his case, I mean, he talks a lot. He's been on podcasts. He has a book. And he's very clear about the things that he does himself. Like he, for one thing, a lot of the things are are perfectly normal. He avoids smoking. He tries not to eat too much. Mm -hmm. He exercises. He uses saunas, things like that. And, you know, there are some supplements. All things a doctor might tell you to do. One of the things he mentioned is he likes to eat um, stressed plants 
because his belief is that the um, the plants being grown under these stressful conditions increases certain protective factors in the plants. And so then when you eat them, you get the benefits of those protective factors. Right. Yeah. To some people, that sounds a little kooky, but like it might work. Why not? I like how you described it as saying uh, you you sort of wondered what his garden might look like. A bunch of really stressed <laughs> out plants that have been grown under the worst conditions. So they toughen up. That's what I said. I was like, it's, it sounds like my garden, actually, but I didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> Unintentionally. <laughs> I'm just not good at it. Yeah. So what are some of the concrete, as you put it, the sort of practical, mostly widely agreed upon things that people can do to possibly live longer and healthier? So the big ones are associated with this concept called hormesis, which is gently stressing your body in such a way that it encourages your body to protect itself with these particular biological factors. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the ones that are supported are things like getting into saunas or letting yourself get cold. So kind of allowing your body to experience temperature fluctuations. The main one, honestly, the, the... intervention with the biggest support is to eat less. Eat less. Eat less, yes. So there's been a lot of studies in mice and monkeys in humans. And when you restrict calories, whether you do it, I think a lot of people do recommend something like intermittent fasting now, but it can also just be like a general calorie restriction. Mm. So that's one of the most supported ones. Both Dr. Sinclair and Dr. Nir Barzilai, who is another expert I talked to for this, do intermittent fasting. And so just explain briefly, what what is intermittent fasting for anyone who's not familiar with how it works? Yeah. So there are different ways of doing it. Mm-hmm. The main two that I've heard about are the 5-2 diet, which is you eat normally five days a week and then two days a week you do just 500 calories for the day, which is hard. I've done it. <laughs> I did a biohacking article a few years ago and tried that out. And uh, by the end of the day, you get Kind of cranky, but you do feel you feel pretty good. I, th- I felt you? fine. So it's 500 calories over the course of the day. Yeah. And it's not restricting your time when you're eating. It's just restricting your calories. Well, that's one way to do it. And then the, the, mm-hmm. the one that's more popular is 16-8. But again, like you can change these. Th- these are just kind of like popular ones. Mm-hmm. You know, some people just don't eat for 12 hours every night and that's how they do it. 16-8 is you restrict your eating window to eight hours. So you only eat within eight hours. And there's a fair amount of research in rats, I believe, that when they're allowed to eat whenever they want this high fat diet, they develop all these diseases that we associate with aging, cardiovascular disease, all that kind of stuff. And then when you restrict them to eight hours, they can eat, still eat whatever they want. They just eat it within this eight hours, then that goes away. Mm. So there's some fairly compelling evidence for that as well. But again, you know, you don't have to be really strict about this. You can just eat less. You can skip lunch. <laughs> you can you can do a lot of things to try to make it less miserable because I know people joke about, you know, you might live for an extra 10 years, but it'll feel like 30 if you, <laughs> if you don't, if you can't eat whenever you right. want, you know, right, so, right, right. Uh, so you, you do want to have an enjoyable life. You don't want just a long one. You know, one thing I appreciated, Jackie, in this article is that you did sort of touch on the issue of what would happen if humans started living longer lives and the sort of ripple effect, the problems that it might create. I'm thinking about overpopulation and environmental damage. Um, What do some of the people that you speak to say about that? I I did talk to some people who thought that maybe maybe it wouldn't be a problem. I think the optimism is contagious kind of throughout longevity research. So if you're somebody who already thinks like, 
we're going to live forever. Like, we're going to have this amazing future. Like, you can kind of convince yourself that we're going to solve all these other problems too, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just a kind of a way of thinking. But, you know, I think there are real potential problems. Uh, The big one is with, like, how egalitarian we can implement it. So, obviously, it's not going to be everybody at first, especially when this is really expensive, to monitor your body or to get these treatments that may come in the future. It's not going to be everybody that's going to be able to afford them. The rich people are going to be able to afford them first. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you really have to make sure that we're not creating this oligarchy or some kind of society where like some people get to live forever and other people don't. That's a Black Mirror episode, I think. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, yeah. It Um, becomes deeply philosophical, really, and and ethical. Yeah. Uh, It really becomes an ethical question. Yeah, it does. I wonder if uh, did Dr. Sinclair or any of the other researchers, really, because you spoke to several of them, talk about how they consider these ethical questions? So, yeah. So if you're a scientist and you're working on this, one of the ways people are thinking about it is an increase in health span versus an increase in lifespan. And that that is something that is more of an equalizer. That is something that I think we should all be hopeful for, right? Because, for example, people who have HIV live on average 10 years less than people who don't. There are people who don't have access to healthy food or exercise opportunities. There are, you know, people who have whatever genes lead them to have early onset Alzheimer's. All of these sorts of things, like we're not living equal lifespans now. Mm -hmm. And so if you can create interventions that can lift up the bottom of that, kind of like lift this lower level, you know, the thing that I say personally is my great grandma, she lived to be 96 and wasn't sick and died while she still had tickets for a riverboat riverboat gambling cruise out of Biloxi. Oh my goodness. So like, you know, I mean, she really, she really went for it till the very end. (laughs) What scientists are kind of thinking about is like creating the situation where everybody can have that kind of like full life straight up to the end. And then I think that that's something that you can get on board with the philosophy pretty easy. Do you have any advice for people on how to separate the junky science around anti-aging yeah. from the good science? In every area of science where it's popular, that's always the hard question, right? Sure. Is, is How does a person who hasn't studied this or doesn't have the ability to call up David Sinclair, which is most of us, right. figure out whether this is real or not? I think... In general, supplements, I mean, you have to understand supplements are very unregulated in this country. You can put claims on the bottle that have absolutely nothing behind them. Um, so generally speaking, I think the the most interesting thing I heard from somebody is uh, if it really worked, it wouldn't have to advertise itself to you as something <laughs> that was an anti-aging because you would know, you would have heard, you know what I mean? You, That's funny, like, yeah. Yeah, you would have heard about it. And that's not to say that there aren't supplements that might work. But what you have to understand is until it has been thoroughly studied and FDA approved, you are kind of guessing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, general use common sense. You know, magnets probably, if they led to people living 150 years, we would know that by now and you would have heard about it. Sure. So maybe don't (laughs) invest in the magnet mat that you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. If you... um, if you were able to put a number on it after having spoken to all these researchers, does anyone put a number on it? You know, when when might we be able to extend lifespans? And if so, how long can lifespans get? That question is tough. I did actually put that to David Sinclair. And what I asked him was, do you think we'll live forever? 
I mean, forever is a, a huge question. And he said, I don't think any time in the next 500 years that humans will live forever. So what that means is that if you're listening to, to this, you're going to die, <laughs> you know, probably. Right. Um, but, but how quickly can we extend life? And which is going to happen first? Are we going to lift, kind of lift all boats to the endpoint we've established now? Or are we going to extend the extreme living people farther into their 150s or whatever? Which is Which is going to happen first? I would say that first scenario is going to happen first, mm-hmm. where it's going to be more of us are going to last closer to the limit versus that the limit is going to change. Oh, so, so fascinating. Jackie Detweiler-George, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us about this. Yeah, it was great to talk to you. Jacqueline Detweiler-George's article is available for Apple News Plus subscribers. iPhone users can subscribe in the Apple News app.